Hey, Rockbridge, thank you so much for joining us at all six of our physical locations and also those of you that are watching online. What an incredible, amazing, awesome weekend that we have had with our annual Disciple Now. It's investing in sixth through twelfth graders. God moved. God did amazing things. Thank you so much, those of you who served, those of you who prayed, and then for all of you who give to just to support the ministries that, that we do at Rockbridge, that giving is actually being used by God to impact uh, the, the, the next generation of Christ followers as they move into adulthood. And we want to help them become, help our students become lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. So God bless Rockbridge. Thank you, God, for what you did. And then, hey, Rockbridgers, be, always be aware, first Wednesday is coming up, March the 6th. That's next week. That's our service of prayer, worship, and taking the Lord's Supper. We always have a time to pray for the sick, pray for healing, deliverance, strength, and comfort. <coughs> so if that fits you or you know someone who needs the elders and the prayer team of our church to pray over them, please know that takes place every first Wednesday at Rockbridge. So we're ready to kick off our pre-Easter series, and it's called Missing Jesus. And we're excited to get into the Gospels after spending 25 weeks or so in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. So let me ask us all a question. Let's join in and think, and what's the greatest thing that can happen to us? And there's probably a ton of answers going off in your head in the room this evening. Uh, maybe it's something financially. Maybe it's a, a health thing you're struggling with to be gone. Maybe it's something, uh, you know, money, marriage across the board. But if we really, really are honest and we really just kind of come in and, and say, okay, God, what's the greatest thing that can happen to a human being? You created us. You made us. Uh, we, we, we mostly believe that you want the best for us, although sometimes, God, that's, that's kind of confusing. But God, what's the greatest thing that could happen to me? God would say something like this, to be in his presence, to be in the presence of God without fear of judgment and with the joy of being perfectly loved. And God can make that happen. In the Psalms, it says this, you, talking about God, reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy and at your right hand are eternal pleasures, pleasures that never, ever end. Now, before we kind of dig deep into this, we all understand we've got some problems with God's presence, okay? And you kind of fall in one of three buckets or three categories of problems. There's some people that just doubt his existence. And, and that may be you, and, and you're here at church, and you're just not sure, but hey, if you're going to figure out anything about God, you figure maybe I, you ought to go to church. Hey, we're glad you're at Rockbridge. But I think we, we've probably all been there where we did, hey, does God really exist? We've got to answer that question at some point in our journeys. Some of us, we're just unsure of his presence. Like, what does it mean to be in the presence of God? And, and, and some of us, that's like not a great thing. It's like if you're driving and you know the police are on the road you're driving in, you're a little nervous, right? Because, you know, what does it mean to be in the presence of God? And, and then for some of us, we're like, hey, in the here and now, I'm not sure what that means. I mean, I kind of know about then and there, like heaven, and I've heard of that stuff about that. But like in the here and now, I'm just not sure uh, of his presence. And then I think there's a third category. It's just maybe we just lack awareness. Because when we go into the Word of God, it's obvious that in the beginning, God created. Maybe the, the four most important words in human history, right? In the beginning, God. God did something. God created. God exists. We know his existence first through creation and the order and the beauty that we see in creation. Then we go to the book of Hebrews. It says this, now without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
since the one who draws near to him in his presence must believe he exists and he rewards those who seek him. So God exists and, and actually God wants us to be in his presence, right? And so God, God wants us to be with him and God wants us to know him and enjoy him. And in the book of Acts, Paul says this from one man, Adam, he's made every nationality, ethnic group, to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. So God knows you, knew you would live in 2024. He did this so that they, people like you and me, might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So this says God exists. This says God wants us to seek him. God wants us to be aware of him. But there's a perhaps there. So how do we become aware of God? It reminds me of this quote I read from Mother Teresa when somebody was visiting her and they went out and did the mission and ministry that she did and they came back and she said, well, did you see Jesus today? As if this is an expectation that every day we should see God. And yet, we often miss God and so did people in the Bible Actually, in the Gospels, which is where we're hanging out here as we move toward Easter weekend, in the Gospels, people were right there talking with Jesus and missed his presence as the Son of God, as God in the flesh or God incarnate. And, and so we miss God, and then we see that people in the Bible miss God. And so if the greatest thing that could ever happen to us is to be in the presence of God without fear of judgment, judgment and, and with the experience of being perfectly loved by him, we got to solve this problem of missing God in the here and in the now. To help us with that, we're going to be in the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8. Mark is the first gospel that was written. It's the shortest gospel. It's very concise. Mark leaves out a lot of the details that we might see in Luke, who's a historian, uh, and even in Matthew, and then, and then John's got a little different approach, but it's really insightful to read the first gospel that was written as Mark studied under Peter, listening to Peter preach while Peter was in Rome. And here we have an account of someone named Peter who's going to miss God or miss Jesus. So here's the story. Jesus went out with his disciples, verse 27 to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, his students, who do people say that I am? Now we know, or, or some of us know, or you know, from, in hindsight, we know Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. The resurrection of, from the dead proves it. But at this point, people are missing who Jesus is. They don't know who he is. And so in verse 28, they answer Jesus. They say, well, John the Baptist, and other people say you're Elijah. So still others say, well, you're one of the prophets. So people are missing Jesus, and he's right there in front of them, healing people, feeding thousands of people miraculously, walking on water, all kinds of crazy stuff, right? And people don't know who he is. What's going on there? We come back to that. But then Jesus asked the disciples, the guys that are closest to him, they're with him all the time said, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter goes first, as he often does, and he says, you are the Messiah. Big word, an important word. You're the Messiah, Jesus. 
Matthew adds that he said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus gets pretty pumped and excited about it. This word Messiah means anointed one. And, and that would mean like the anointed king in the line of King David. And we just spent a lot of time in Samuel talking about David emerging as the king. And, and now Messiah can mean the historical king like you and I think of the king of England or something, right? But it also points beyond just a, t a time and a place and a, and a reign and a rule like King Charles of England or the United Kingdom, but the ultimate king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so Peter says, this is who you are. So Peter gets it right. He sees Jesus. He knows Jesus. Jesus, you're the Messiah. Now, this is insightful interaction because it does reinforce something we've already said God wants to be recognized. Jesus wants us to know who he is, right? And he wants to be recognized fully and, and, and to know truly who he is. Now, God doesn't want to be the man upstairs. God doesn't want to be, hey, you know, you know well, my granddad was a, a strong Christian, but eh, you know, me, eh. God wants to be recognized. God wants to be fully and truly known by you, by me. And that's the greatest thing that could happen to us, right? The eternal pleasures at the right hand of God. He makes known to us the path of life, and it's the path of incredible joy and incredible peace. But what if the problem then is not God's existence because he exists? What if the problem is not that, hey, there's a problem with us being in God's presence because there's not? What if the problem is just like our awareness or our perception? Just like, you know, have you ever looked for something and then someone else comes in the room and helps you and they find it in like 30 seconds and you've been looking for 30 minutes, you just weren't aware of it? You ever walk into your house and think it, nobody's there and somebody sneaks up on you and catches you off guard and they were there the whole time? It's the awareness and perception, right? So Peter says, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus does something that doesn't seem right or it doesn't seem to fit. and It almost seems to contradict everything I've talked about until we kind of get, dig deeper. So in Mark 8.30, Jesus warned them. He said... Tell no one about me. Don't let anybody know I'm the Messiah. Now, now, this is important for us interpreting this passage of Scripture. This little word, strictly warned, is, 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 is the same word's going to show up three different times in the story. Here's the first time. Jesus is going to use it twice, and then sandwiched in between there, Peter's going to use it once. It, it's, it's warned, it's rebuked, it's cautioned. It's, hey, don't do this. Hey, you're on, be careful. So Jesus warned them. Don't tell anybody about me. And then right after Peter says, you're the Messiah, don't tell anybody about the Messiah, then Jesus starts talking about something that blows their minds. He began to teach them that it was necessary. This little phrase, it was necessary, is a, a unique construction in the Greek language. It's like, man, I have to do this. This has to happen. There's no option, okay? I have to do this. For the Son of Man to suffer many things. We move toward Good Friday, Easter. And be rejected by the elders, all the Jewish leaders, the chief priests, the scribes. Be killed. And rise, there's Easter, before it even happens. 
and rise after three days. And Jesus spoke openly about this. Now, let's just kind of put ourselves in, in Peter and the disciples' shoes. You just said he's the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So he's the one that the Jews have been waiting on for, 13, 14, uh, for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years. Uh, he's the, the, the true king, the one true king, the king of kings. And he's going to be rejected by the people who are waiting for him? What'd they miss? And, and, and not only is he going to be rejected, he's going to be killed? And it's almost like, you know, this, the, the resurrection. He's going to rise after three days. They kind of breeze right past that point because we're, we're so shocked that the Messiah is going to die. The Messiah is going to be rejected. And, and so Peter pulls Jesus to the side and said, hey, second use of the word, began to rebuke Jesus. Now, now think about Peter. He's correcting God. He's warning God. It'd be like saying, hey, God, ah, you might want to rethink your plan for the world. Right? It kind of seems arrogant. Kind of, but he's rejecting God. And so right there, Peter is missing Jesus. He's missing the whole point. And, and it just strikes me as insightful about why I miss God too. Is that like, you know, everybody's like, hey, I want God to show up. I want to see God. I want to know God. I mean, when's God going to do what he did for Moses? Burning bush. Come on, where's God? And it's like this. So, yeah, we've said this. Jesus wants to show up. God wants to be recognized. But we want to tell him how he has to do it. We want to tell God how to do God, how to be God. And, and yeah, we want you Messiah Jesus. We don't want you suffering, though. We don't want you dying, Right? And it's crazy that God's presence now becomes his absence, right? God, you're the Messiah. No, 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 God, you can't go die. No, God, no, no. And so now Peter's totally missing the point, missing the fullness, the reality, the scope of who Jesus is and why Jesus is here and what he came to do. And the same thing happens to you and I, right? Some of us can't conceive God allowing bad things to happen. Some of us have only this notion that God wants to do like make us all healthy and wealthy and drive certain kind of cars and live the American dream. Some of us have this notion that God would never allow this to happen. And, and if he did, man, I don't know if I believe in God anymore. So we're all good when God shows up on our timetable the way we want him to show up. But if he goes and deviates from that or seems to have a different agenda or different plan than you and I prefer, you and I want, well, surely God's not in this. And his presence becomes his absence. So in, the, in this case, and we're going to look at several cases over the next several weeks of missing Jesus, he, he just didn't meet Peter's expectation and he contradicted Peter's agenda. Because Peter grew up a Jew. And the Jews wanted a Messiah for sure. They wanted a political, military, a diplomatic leader, statesman leader to come in and physically use the military, raise an army, and get the Romans out of their land, out of the promised land. That was the Messiah that was imprinted 
in, in Peter's mind. That's the Messiah he was looking for. That's the Messiah he wanted. That's the Messiah he prayed for when he left his nets, left his dad, left his fishing career, and followed Jesus. That's why he followed Jesus. That's why he went with Jesus. Because this guy is the Messiah that's going to get rid of the Romans. And you and I, now, we may not be in the same shoes as Peter, but we have expectations for God. We, if there is a God, this is how I would expect God to run the world, run my life, and answer my prayers. It, it, all of us have an agenda, and when God seems to contradict your agenda, the way Jesus contradicted Peter's, Peter's like, no, the Messiah's not going to suffer, die, be rejected. And we just skip about that resurrection part, although that's essential to him being the true God, the true king, and the Messiah. But Peter's like, no, you can't be God. No, 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 I mean, don't be talking about that stuff, Jesus. God, I got to warn you, I got to rebuke you. But the same thing happens to us. Now, I think it's important. Especially as we are in the United States are in a presidential election year. And you're going to hear some terms and you're going to hear some language used. And I think it's important for us to see how this text in Mark chapter 8 and why Peter missed Jesus. How it applies to some of the political landscape in the United States going on right now. Peter was what we would call a nationalist. All right. And a nationalist is putting love of nation and generally one's own self-interest over love for God. So that we want, you know, so we're like, God, what I want for my country politically and, what, and, and my interests that are wrapped up in that trumps the mission of God and the love of God. And so Peter's like, hey, what I want for Israel proper, ethnic, geographic Israel, Old Testament Israel, uh, that, that, that trumps what you just said, Jesus, you had to do, which is you had to go die. So, so Peter's a nationalist. Now, let's not confuse nationalism from patriotism. Patriotism, man, I just love my country and I want what's best for my country. But, but, but as Christians, we can be patriots who love our country, but we also understand that our citizenship, first and foremost, is in the kingdom of Jesus, not in America, right? So nationalism goes a step further and puts love of nation and our self-interest ahead of love for God. And then Christian nationalism, which we'll hear about and have heard about in the news, starts to see America as crucial and essential to God's kingdom. And, and that it's all con conflated and combined in there. And then we seek to tie the gospel, and these are, this is actually Billy Graham's concern in 1974, that we're seeking to tie the gospel to a specific society or culture, political party, and government. And, and all of this is not God's agenda. When, when Jesus says, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, he's not talking about the American way and the American dream. He, he's not talking about any of that thing. When, when we talk about being a Christian in America, we can't take the gospel and tie it in tightly to a specific society, political party, or government. And Peter eventually will realize this. Look in the, look and go fast forward to Acts 10. He'll, he begins to speak because he didn't think anybody but Jews could be saved because it was all about ethnic Israel and geographic Israel and thus political Israel. And then he says, no, I, now I understand God doesn't show favoritism. But in every nation, ethnic group, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. So we need to be careful 
about nationalism and Christian nationalism in America because it can cause us, like it caused Peter, to miss Jesus. And what's of first importance, Rock Bridgers? His gospel, his kingdom, and our first love for him. Now, how's Jesus going to respond when Peter rebukes him? Well, he pulls Peter, they pull, they pull off to the side. He turns around and looks at his disciples. He wants all of his 12 to hear what he's going to do. Third time, this is his rebuke. He rebukes Peter, and he doesn't just smack him on the wrist. He calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns. You're thinking about human concerns. Your love for yourself, your agenda, and just your people, ethnic Israel, geographic and political Israel, is overshadowing the kingdom of Jesus, kingdom of God. Get behind me, Satan. A couple of things we need to recognize. When awareness of God increases, so too does satanic activity. And Satan shows up in one of two ways. He masquerades as an angel of light, or he appears as a roaring lion through fear and intimidation. Peter, knowingly or not, cooperates with deceit with a deceptive statement when he tries to rebuke the Son of God, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So tie all this together. Jesus' rebuke of Peter explains why he said, don't tell anybody who I am because they weren't ready to be his witnesses for who he really was and is and will always be. King of kings, Lord of lords, the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of the living God versus this limited, tiny just king of the Jews, Jesus, but only the king that we want, political, military king, to deal with one problem in the first century when Jesus actually came to deal with the biggest problem of all mankind that's always been our problem from all of the centuries, which is sin, guilt, and death, and how do we get in the presence of a holy God? You get in the presence of a holy God, which is the greatest thing that could ever happen to any of us through the blood of the Son of God, Shed on, shed on Good Friday, the blood of Jesus was accepted. How do we know? Through the resurrection on Easter, and that's why God can give us all an invitation to be in his presence and enjoy him, and he doesn't want any of us to miss him as that kind of Messiah and be a part of his eternal kingdom. But aren't we all just so often like blind to the big picture strategic ways of God? I think one of the things that's going to make heaven heaven is we're going to see things from heavenly perspective. And we're like, oh, that's why that happened. Oh, that led to that, 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 that. I never knew that. But instead, is it not true that our view, our hopes, and our preferences are way too small and way too narrow? Peter was thinking totally about first century politics, first century Roman and Jew relationships. Now, he was informed by his past. He had no concept of the scope of the kingdom of Jesus at this point in his journey. Now, Jesus is going to expound on what it means to be with him in his presence. So he calls the crowd now. So, he talk, so Peter rebukes him privately. Jesus then rebukes Peter in front of the other disciples. And then Jesus now gets the crowd in, so he, get, he keeps broadening the circle. And he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, be in my presence, let him deny himself. 
Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the good news of the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And inside of this, we're going to see in how we can experience the presence of God. Although it almost sounds like Jesus is talking people out of following him and being with him. And, and when you're first reading of this, you're like, I don't really want to be with that guy. He's too radical. He demands too much. He's asking too much. So it's almost like, you know, Matt, you said the greatest thing in the world is to be in the presence of Jesus. And here's Jesus saying, man, it's just costly to be in my presence. It's demanding to be in my presence. So what's going on here? So a couple of things. First thing is this. There's really good news. Jesus does not go away. Despite Peter rebuking him, giving him the Heisman, trying to correct him, trying to redirect his plans and his agenda, right? Jesus doesn't go away. God is still omnipresent. That means God's always everywhere. So that means we can all say God's with me. And he's longing for us to be with him. That's why he gives this, this whole speech about following him and what it means to follow him. So it's really good news, right? So you may be sitting here this weekend, and you may be saying, hey, I, I don't know about all this. God's with you. You're, what you lack is awareness, but he's with you. And that's good news. That means he hasn't given up on you, although you may have given up on him. You may be unsure of him. You may be doubting the whole premise of this message because you're not so sure it's good to be, it's good to be with Jesus. But God's still here. God's still got a plan. God's still knocking on your door. God still wants to be a part of your life. So let's look in this story. And let's see how he's present in this story. And he's present in our story too, but how he's missed, okay? The first thing is, hey, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah, the anointed one. They miss it because he's not the king they, think they want, but he's the king they need. And, and I want us all to understand the greatest thing our God could do for us is do what Jesus said he must do, which is go, be rejected, suffer many things, die, and then rise again to verify and show he's the true king. So sometimes we miss Jesus' lordship, leadership, kingship, because we're like, I don't want that kind of leader. I don't want that kind of king. But he is king. Let's not miss Jesus is king. And let's not miss that all of us need a king. And all of us have a king. Is Jesus your king? The second way that he's present in the story is through unanswered prayer and unmet expectations. When Peter rebukes him, he's basically saying, Jesus, no, 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 no. If you do what you just said, you have to do, go suffer, die. Man, that's not how I've prayed for a long time. And that's not my expectations. But Jesus is still there. He's still in front of Peter. So oftentimes when God, it's crazy. The only time we talk about God answering prayers is when God does exactly what we want him to do. But I think oftentimes God meets us in the unanswered prayer. 
And God meets us in the unmet expectations. Because if God did everything you ever asked of him and met every expectation you had of him, he wouldn't be God. He'd just be a reflection of you and your desires. And here's what I know about me and my desires. They've got me in a lot, of unan- a lot of messes. That's why we can join with Garth Brooks and thank God for unanswered prayers, right? So he's present in our unanswered prayers and unmet expectations. What might be lacking, though, is our awareness. And then our willingness to be open to how he is present. Peter's open to Jesus as the political military Messiah of the first century geographic and ethnic Israel. What he's not open to is a suffering Messiah who dies on the cross, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. For you and for me. He's present in how he loves us. You know when Jesus said, I got to go suffer and die, be rejected and rise. And that's when Peter said, no, 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 you can't do that. Do you know the greatest act of love is that Jesus died for us? Exactly what Peter rebuked Jesus for. See, I really believe there's a group of people here this weekend at Rockbridge. And you need to let God love you. From the cross. Because that's where he gives you a new identity. That's where he gives you forgiveness and hope, redemption, adoption. Notice how Paul says it. God shows his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sometimes we just got to let God love us. And so when Peter, listen, it's crazy, but I do this too. When Peter says, no, 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 you can't go to the Jordan, you can't go, I'm rebuking you, Jesus, you can't go die, you can't go suffer, you, you, you got to ascend and become the military political king that I want. That's how you love me. You ever tell God, hey, God, if you really loved me, you'd let me have this, or you'd keep this from me, or you'd take this from me? And God maybe gives an unanswered prayer, and God says, no, 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 no. let me love you this way. While you are still a sinner, I died for you. So I could adopt you and redeem you and give you a future. Right? Number four, Jesus is also present through discipline. Notice Jesus openly rebukes or disciplines Peter. He said, now he uses harsh language, right? Is it sometimes Jesus is not touchy-feely. He uses get behind me Satan, but that's still godly discipline. You know who God disciplines? His kids, because he loves his kids. He wants the best for his kids, right? And so if Jesus, if Peter, excuse me, is missing Jesus, Jesus meets Peter with a rebuke. He doesn't give up on Peter. He says, Peter, you're just thinking wrong, acting wrong. You're missing the whole point, and you're missing me. God loves us through discipline. Some of you right now, if you really, want, if you really understood the season of life you're in and why you're going through what you're going through, this is not to say all suffering and all adversity is godly discipline. 
But there ought to be a period of self-examination anytime we go through a tough time or we feel like God's not responding the way we think God should respond. That could be God disciplining us. And why is he disciplining us? Because he wants more for us. What does he have in store for Peter? Fast forward. Peter's going to run. When he's arrested, he's going to flee. He's going to deny Jesus three times. And then Peter's going to stand up and give the first sermon that launches the church in Acts chapter 2. God's got more for Peter. God's got more for you. Don't miss him because he's disciplining you because he loves you and then finally number five God is present through these invitations to self-denial he says deny yourself lose your life in this world so you can find your life and in me through the gospel right now this invites us to do something that's challenging because part of in this invitation to self-denial he says don't be ashamed of me and my words and one of the ways we often miss God is because of what we do with the Word of God. Because the way God speaks to us predominantly shows us Himself predominantly is through the Word of God. So why we so much encourage you, get in a small group where you're discussing the Bible. Subscribe to Time with God so you're in the Word of God daily and consistently and frequently, right? But here's the problem, and this is where Christian nationalism in America comes from. It's how we read and teach the Bible, and there's really two ways to do it. The first way is exegesis, and this is what you want me to do. This is what our elders hold me accountable to do. This is how we read the Bible. We want to discover the inspired biblical author, the author who is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who is God. We want to discover that meaning and the timeless principles of that biblical text to us, and that's God speaking to us. It's called exegesis, okay? What a lot of people do, a lot of pastors do. This is why I tell you something. Just because someone says they're a pastor, just because someone gives a sermon on a YouTube channel does not mean they're actually teaching the Word of God and, and showing you who God really, really is. And, and Jesus might say to them, get behind me, Satan. Because you're not bearing witness to the true Jesus. In fact, you're helping people miss the true Jesus. And so there's another way that people read the Bible. It's called eisegesis, which is we read meaning into the Bible, usually based on one's preferences and biases. So a lot of people in the name of Christianity are reading the United States and a political agenda into the scriptures uh, that America is like the new Israel or Old Testament texts that apply to Israel. All oh, those apply to America. No, 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 no. That's I said Jesus. And we're going to miss Jesus if we read the Bible, interpret the Bible, teach the Bible, preach the Bible that way. So at Rockbridge, this is where we are. The biblical author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there's meaning, there's timeless principles, and we're not going to be ashamed of those words. But we would be ashamed of ourselves if we read ourselves, our agenda, our preferences into the Word of God and then preach it and teach it and cause people to miss the real Jesus. Now, the other part of self-denial, so powerful. Notice Jesus says, deny yourself. So it's almost like Jesus is talking about two selves. Bear with me. There's the denied self, Right? And that's the self that prefers its own way in its own kingdom. So when Jesus says that, it's like, Peter, you got to deny how you were raised to think about the Messiah. you got to deny your preference for a political victory in the first century and a military victory over the Romans in the first century. you got to deny that, Peter. 
because that Peter is wrong. That Peter is missing God and missing Jesus. It'd be like looking at you and say, listen, listen, listen. The, part, the, the, the you that gets afraid of everything, the you that is all about you, and when you're all about you, it causes your marriage to crumble and your kids to get distance from you. You got to deny that. You got to deny prideful you, fearful you, anxious you, stressed out you. You got to deny you that's running the American dream rat race and thinks you are what you do, you are what you have, you are what people say about you. That's the you you got to deny because that you is going to miss Jesus, miss the kingdom, and thus miss the greatest thing that could ever happen to us, which is to be in the presence of God so there's the self we got to deny but then there's the self that does the denying and that's the self that prefers Jesus see if you're born again if you're a true follower of Jesus there's a part of you that's new that's from him that's of him and that will be with him forever it's the you that says hey I want Jesus more than anything else it's the you that says Jesus plus nothing still and always and forever will equal everything it's not the political you it's not the materialistic you it's not the fearful you it's the you Jesus died to redeem to adopt and wants to be with forever that's the real you that's the true you now, some of you are here today, and you know, Matt, there's only one me. I want my way, my kingdom. But maybe today the invitation from God, because God's speaking to you, don't miss him, is to deny this person, and you realize, you know what? I want to be with Jesus. Let's not miss Jesus. Let me close with this quote from David Benner. Only when we love him enough to prefer his way to ours, his language to ours, and his will to ours, only then will we discover him. Let's bow and pray. Lord God, by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit and the authority of your word, may no one here miss Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.